welcome to Establish the Edge. I am your host, Mike Leone, bringing you a solo podcast today. I want to walk through the differences between best ball leagues and managed leagues, which is something that might seem obvious at first glance, but I think a lot of people get wrong, like the actual implications of the differences in these format and how to best take advantage of them in the average league that you're playing in. So going to dive into that, but very apropos to today's episode, uh, this podcast is brought to you by Underdog, and I've got the Best Ball Mania 3 contest up on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. That contest is insane. $2 million to first place, a $1 million to second place, also giving out a $1 million to the regular season points leader. So you definitely want to get over to Underdog, check it out. If you use promo code ETR when you sign up, they're going to match your first deposit up to $100. Unbelievable contest to drafting now. Great practice for your home leagues. Get ready for those in a couple of weeks. So again, visit Underdog Fantasy. Use promo code ETR for up to $100 in free entries. And I mentioned that huge Best Ball Mania 3 contest. Uh, in today's episode, where I'm talking about Best Ball, I'm talking about it a little bit more generically. So it's not hyper-specific to Best Ball Mania 3, which is a really unique contest, really large field tournament. I'm talking more like, your average best ball league that's maybe just points weeks one through 17 or has a playoff format, but the playoff isn't as severely outweighed in terms of its impact as the best ball mania three contest. So just keep that in mind. But for people that are new to this best ball contests on underdog are 18 round drafts where you're not doing any in-season management, the draft is it. So you need to draft backups at positions in case guys get hurt and you're not setting a lineup throughout the year. Your optimal score gets used no matter what it is, which is an interesting wrinkle. Of course, in managed leagues, you've got waivers to deal with throughout the season. You do have to actively set your lineup, decide who your starting players are. And as a result, there's different strategies that you're going to use in both of these. Let's start looking through a best ball lens compared to manage and how things change. And I think the first thing on my list is running backs and early running backs in particular are more valuable in best ball than they are in managed leagues. Um, that's because there's no waiver wire period, which is huge. Um, if you've seen the zero RB or wide receiver heavy strategies, a lot of those are contingent upon being able to draft eight running backs which Silva, Adam Levitan, and I just did in you know uh, a, a draft recently. We took eight running backs in our twenty round draft. That's you know forty percent of our roster spots getting uh, allocated to running back. You can't do that in a best ball league, or you're going to be way too thin at other positions, and you can't churn through the waiver wire. Now a lot of you know, zero running back candidates, running backs late, they have a lot of upside because they have contingent value. But there are also players that, you know, someone like Isaiah Spiller for the Chargers who may not see value over the course of the season for a couple of reasons. One, Austin Eckler may just hold the role all year long, stay healthy. Spiller is pretty useless. Or we're wrong. And Josh Kelly, who's currently ahead of Spiller for RB2, we think that changes and Spiller eventually gets to be the RB2 for the Chargers. But it's possible we're wrong and he just never gets there and doesn't matter what happens to Austin Eckler. So, there's a pretty good probability that he's a stone zero. We're taking him because the ceiling's so huge. If things do break right, the high value touches are there. The talent is there for Isaiah Spiller. 
But it's much easier to make that bet in a managed league where if Josh Kelly stays ahead of him, okay, we can churn, we can churn this Isaiah Spiller bet into another bet. So we're starting with more bets at the beginning of the draft. Like we're talking like, you know, if you're drafting eight running backs versus like six or seven on best ball, and we're churning through these spots. So over the course of a season, we might get our hands on 30 different running back lottery tickets in a managed league. We don't get that in best ball. Uh, and since we don't get that, we're less likely to hit on the late round bets that we do make, which means it's more important to actually get running back production early in your draft. And it's more, there's more of a reward for taking on risk at the running back position early. Um, in manage, sometimes we avoid it where we can because we know running backs are dependent on the team being successful around them. They're really dependent on volume, which they may or may not have a lot of control over, and they get hurt more frequently than other positions. And it's hard in a managed league when you can roll through 30 different running back lottery tickets to make that bet early, a lot easier in best ball. And the projectable volume from day one matters a little bit more, especially if you're a regular traditional best ball league, where it's just scoring weeks one through 17. We're not as focused on those playoff weeks. Some of the backs like Zane Ezekiel Elliott, who are worried Tony Pollard may take a larger chunk of the role come playoff time when it's really important. That won't matter as much in a traditional best ball league that just league containing points, you know, one through 17. Because in that context, week one is worth the same as week 17. That is not the case in like best ball mania three, of course. And it's not the case in any managed leagues because you know, all managed leagues have some sort of playoff format that is to some extent top heavy placing a higher emphasis uh, on those late weeks. So I hope that makes sense as far as why early running backs are more important in best ball leagues. The other reason why it's more important is if you've heard the term hyper fragile, that's when you take three or four running backs somewhat early, but you only take four running backs total, maybe five on your roster in best ball. Um, That's an advantage in best ball because it lets you allocate more of your roster spots to other positions. And that's a good segue to wide receiver where in managed leagues, you can't make up for quality at wide receiver with quantity. You're going to get absolutely crushed because it's going to be difficult to figure out who you want to start each week. And there's such a huge gap between the high-end wide receivers and then the receivers that you're taking later in the draft in terms of both floor and ceiling. But in best ball, you can make up for the lack of quality with quantity a little bit. If you look at the correlation between ADP and weekly scoring, the correlation is much higher at running back than it is at wide receiver. That's because wide receiver scoring is a bit more volatile week to week um, than the running back position is. And you have the ability to take, you know, eight to 10 wide receivers in best ball. Um, and that's a big deal. So the elite wide receivers lose a little bit of their edge because a lot of their edge might come in, you know, Devonte Adams on his bad weeks is going to still score 16 points or whatever. And that, that floor is huge in a managed league in a best ball league. When I can get, you know, a speed wide receiver that maybe just goes two for 80 and one, I've matched Devonte Adams with a guy I would have never started in a managed league. Now handpicked, example that you know fits the case that i'm making so take that with a grain of salt but overall i do think you can take advantage of the volatility of the weekly scoring at the position the fact that you can draft so many more and don't have to decide 
who to start. It's not that you shouldn't take elite wide receivers early. You, you know, I still do zero RB builds in best ball. It's just not as important as it is in managed leagues. And it's also a little bit less important to take four or five wide receivers in a row. Like sometimes in managed leagues, I'll take six wide receivers in the first eight rounds because the goal there is to have four wide receivers over the course of the year as I navigate through busts, injuries, bye weeks that are obvious starts. And I'm just crushing my opponents at the three wide receiver spots and the flex spot. And in order to do that, you want the best bets possible. And the way to get the best bets possible is to draft wide receiver early and keep drafting it. Now, in best ball leagues, taking that fifth, sixth wide receiver has a little bit less value than does in managed leagues because I'm not necessarily looking at all these individual bets in a vacuum for an obvious wide receiver to start. I'm just looking at wide receiver scoring. I need to just fill out my roster. And that's where you can address some other positions. And with the best ball nature of things, you know, you can take a guy with maybe a little bit worse breakout profile later and you're going to be okay in best ball because you can take more wide receivers total in general. So um, again, elite wide receivers are always important, but they do lose a touch of their edge. You do also, um, you start to, I guess, reach the point of diminishing returns a little bit earlier in terms of how many wide receivers you draft in a row in the first like six to eight rounds. Uh, whereas managed, I don't think you really hit that point of diminishing returns that early. It's more like round 10 and after. But I also think what people get wrong in best ball versus managed is the boring guys. Uh, the boring guys, in my opinion, are way more valuable in best ball than they are in managed leagues. And that's because, again, we're probably putting a little bit less draft capital in the wide receiver early, which means stability matters a little bit more later. But again, we don't have waiver wires. I think people in managed leagues don't realize like a boring guy like you know, a slot wide receiver that's going to get you, you know, 10 to 12 points a week. That's pretty replaceable on the wire in managed leagues. So there's just no reason for us to draft those guys. If we can get it on the wire, we'd much rather take guys with breakout profiles that, um, you know, we don't, we don't really care about the, the scoring floor. And, but in best ball, also if you have injuries and bye weeks ahead of you, you can't hit the wire or anything. And avoiding zeros is so huge in best ball. So getting those 10 to 12 points from these boring guys is much more important in best ball. You can, if you can be churning out double digit scores at your receiver and flex spots every single week, you're going to be in a pretty good, good shape because there's gonna be so much cast over the course of NFL season. A lot of teams are going to get absolutely brutalized by injuries and busts and bye weeks and whatnot, that just being able to have usable scores up and down your lineup is a pretty important thing. And that brings me to the other aspect is that spike week players, I think are a little bit overrated. Uh, there's been a lot of research out there that shows players with high standard deviations, like that's not predictable of their future standard deviations. The most predictable thing of a player's future standard deviation is how many points they score. So in other words, you know, the guys who score the most points on average are more likely to have bigger ceiling weeks and spike weeks than guys that score less points, which seems super obvious, but sometimes, you know, we make the better and best ball case and there's, you know, very few instances where that actually occurs. Now I do want to note, we're talking about comparing 
let's say a player averages 12 points versus a player averages 10 points. I want the player who averages 12 points. I don't care if he's a slot wide receiver and the player who averages 10 points is a down the field threat. Give me the player who averages 12 points. That's going to be better over the long haul. This is different though than saying that a player who's starting in a diminished role and could see that role change substantially over the course of the season, that player does have a higher weekly ceiling because their role is going to change. So um, there's an important distinction there. So like a Traylon Burks type who might start as a rotational wide receiver for the Titans, um, you'd probably, he's got a higher ceiling than Hunter Renfro because while the average points at the end of the year might be the same, the way they get those points can be very different because the role, because it's a role change. It's not that the standard deviation is so different between those players um, in terms of relative to the average setting, it's that the role is substantially changed. And by the end of the season, we would expect Burks to have a role that averages 14 to 16 points. And, you know, maybe Hunter Renfro is down by 12. And in that case, we're taking Burks because he averages more, bigger ceiling. Um, and exaggerating a little bit there. I mean, there obviously are some tiebreakers where I'd like prefer some bigger play guys, but overall it's something that's a little bit overrated in best ball. The other thing is QB scarcity in managed leagues. You can really wait on quarterback. Um, not a ton. Cause I think you really want a top 11 quarterback, but if you're in a 12 team league, that means there's 11 out of 12 QBs there for you to take. Now, some people will take them too early. Some people you know, there is a little bit of an edge in getting a tier one or tier two quarterback instead of like a tier three quarterback, you know, taking someone with a rushing upside like Jalen Hurts over a Tom Brady or Dak Prescott. But you're probably not going to get killed if you take Brady in round 10 versus, you know, Lamar Jackson around five. Um, so you have to feel that out a little bit, but that changes a lot in best ball because it is important to have multiple quarterbacks. And once multiple quarterbacks are getting drafted, again, the scarcity totally changes. You can't just wait it out and grab one. You're going to need a couple quarterbacks due to two things. One, a floor standpoint, you absolutely cannot take a zero to quarterback. So if a guy gets banged up for a few weeks, you need to have a second quarterback replacing their score. You really want a quarterback replacing their bi-week score because a quarterback, you're talking like a floor of like 16 points, usually even for mediocre quarterbacks or somewhere around there. You can't just throw those out the window. Uh, whereas in managed, I mean, you, you could just, if you draft a good quarterback, you're just drafting one basically. And then maybe stashing some upside on the bench, but more than likely you're using that roster spot again, like for a running back lottery ticket. And then when you need to, you know, have a quarterback fill in, there's going to be someone there on the waiver wire for you. So that scarcity matters. Uh, which is going to push up quarterback ADPs and make it more imperative that you take one early. And getting an elite one early does become, you know, even, and when I say elite one, I mean more of like the tier one, tier two guys becomes a little bit more important because it gives you a little bit more leeway in terms of what you do with your second quarterback or possibly even a third quarterback. Looking at the tight end position, man, I, I like grabbing elite onesies everywhere. Um, and by a onesie position, I just mean a position where you have only one required starter. So that's QB and tight end. Um, but again, best ball even more so than a traditional league. And the reason why is the flip side of my argument at wide receiver, where you can do a little bit to make up for quality with quantity. It's hard to do that at tight end. Like three crappy tight ends aren't going to match Travis Kelsey's ceiling no matter 
what they don't have the archetype like it just doesn't generally exist where we see these huge ceilings if travis kelsey puts up 20 points it doesn't really matter who my three tight ends are maybe by having three i get lucky and one scores 12 but generally these guys just don't have that ceiling in them whereas we've seen wide receiver picks you'll get there um two years ago we had t higgins was a really late round pick chase claypool was a really late round pick those guys did have the ceiling you know, to match some of those, those high end wide receivers and same thing at quarterback. If Josh Allen scores 35 points and he goes too early where I'm probably not taking him much in basketball either. So let's even say like Lamar Jackson, if he has a big week where just a lot of touchdowns, a lot of rushing yardage puts up 30 plus points, you can have Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz and Tua and maybe you get a 24 point week out of one of those guys, but you just like, you just physically cannot get to 35. So I like to emphasize that. I mean, that that's of course like true and manages it in best ball, but again, best ball, we have the ability to sort of make up for that, that lack of, of quality to some extent at running back and wide receiver. Whereas at QB and tight end, it's not always possible. So I've been pretty into taking, you know, top 11 quarterback in both formats and getting elite onesie where I can at tight end and prioritize that elite onesie at tight end a little bit more in best ball than I do in managed, unless it's like a managed tournament, in which case it's probably about even to how I prioritize it in best ball. So um, looking like, again, just some macro takeaways. If I'm in managed le- leagues, yeah, now looking at the managed league perspective relative to best ball, high level. My player pool is much narrower in managed leagues for a few reasons. Running backs early, like I said, they're much more valuable in best ball. So I'm way more selective with early running backs in managed leagues for a couple of reasons. Um, I can't make up for wide receiver quality with quantity, which means any running back pick early is not a wide receiver, which could be a problem. And the running back ceiling, I think, matters a lot more. So I'm really selective with getting running backs that have a very high ceiling, which is why you'll see in the ETR ranks were a little bit lower on some guys like, um, you know, a, a Joe Mixon type, even Jonathan Taylor to extent relative to the very top of the draft. Um, if you look at the ceiling relative like the wide receivers that they go to, they're not super high. And it's like a lot of risk to take on if you're not getting an elite ceiling. I'm also less likely to take multiple running backs early because that's just more and more risk that I'm adding to my team. And again, this is all the inverse of best ball because I can draft eight running backs if I want on a, on a league. That's a league with the deep bench with like a 20 person bench. But even if it's a 16 round draft, you know, home league, you can fill your bench with almost all running back. Um, after, not all, cause you're going to want some depth at wide receiver early, but the majority of your bench can be running back lottery tickets and you can churn through those throughout the course of the year. So um, in short, my running backs, if I'm taking one early, I want the ceiling to be really, really good or the value to just have been phenomenal. And I'm less likely to take multiple running backs early. And the other aspect of not wanting to take multiple running backs early is it's a position you can get lucky on and manage with those lottery tickets. So if you have those spots blocked because you spent early capital, um, you know, you, you don't really get the full profit that you would if you run into, you know, around 10 running back that breaks out or, um, you know, just takes over a job because of an injury in front of that person. 
And uh, again, inverse of best ball value of the elite wide receivers, pounding wide receiver early is huge because you want, again, to be able to have four obvious starts if you're in a three wide receiver league each and every week. And the best way to do that is take some, take an elite wide receiver early, take multiple wide receivers early. And then when we get to the wide receivers we're taking for depth, the boring wide receivers, again, they're kind of pointless because we can replace them for the most part on the waiver wire, or we can just take our L if we're like, if we're that desperate for 10 points at a wide receiver position because we had so many injuries and busts. Like we might've, we might've just lost. It's okay to take your L sometimes. So uh, I eliminate a lot of wide receivers in the draft. Someone like Corey Davis, who I think is a really good value in best ball because he's going to be on the field. I think he's somewhat talented. I don't see the ceiling where he makes or breaks as that sort of any sort of leverage uh, on my year in a managed league. Um, it's probably going to be the point where either my receivers are so much better than him that I don't need to start him. Or if I really am that desperate to start him, I'm probably losing anyways. Whereas if you take a chance on wide receivers with huge breakout profiles that could have a season that we just don't expect because of the uncertainty, you were generally talking about rookies, second year wide receivers, Rondell Moore in there, um, all the rookie wide receivers, those guys could have seasons where it's like, oh yeah, they're an obvious start. You know, Corey Davis probably not going to be the point where he's like an obvious start. He's always, you know, even at his best, he's gonna be like an okay start. Um, not not trying to pick on him, but he's just a good example of this situation of a guy, um, him like Sammy Watkins, a guy late too. Like I'll take him in best ball because there's value in him being on the field for Green Bay and um, like having some du- double digit weeks for you. That value doesn't really apply in managed leagues. Uh, the median case just does not matter uh, for wide receivers past a certain round. It's all about the upside profile of the players. So I hope that helps. That's my rundown of best ball versus managed. Again, make sure you check out underdog. If you want to get in some best ball leagues, a hundred dollar first deposit match for promo code ETR. And if you're going to play in some managed leagues, you know, just be aware of those differences between the two formats and the idea in both formats is to build as robust of teams as possible. And I think it's the best way to do it and manage. We can even build in a little bit more anti-fragility because of our ability to use the waiver wire to our advantage and the way starting roster spots work. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I'll be back uh, with another solo podcast recapping the main event draft that me, Evan Silva, and Adam Levitan just did, which was a zero RB team. And I'm going to go over the case for why you would ever do zero RB, especially in a tournament format. And I think I can make a pretty compelling case. So looking forward to that podcast by the end of the week. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Oh,